I think, Johnny, if I had to sum up this show, I would say it's a show about love. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Love is what it's all about. Hello, and welcome to Johnny and Tiggy Walker Consciously Coupling. Now, in this podcast, we're going to be chatting to other couples and finding out how they met. Who did the wooing, or who wooed who. Whether they faced any struggles together. And the triumphs and the joys that they've had. We'll hear about the songs that they love, that they share, and maybe some that they don't. And it's all with thanks to our partner, the Velvetizer, from Hotel Chocolat. Barista-grade drinking chocolate at home. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to get a new episode every Wednesday. Right, let's get started. Let's. Well, Charles and Patty Eston, how fantastic they're going to do our podcast, Tiggs. Well, I should say so, Johnny. I mean, Charles, when he was playing Deacon Claiborne, was honestly the thinking woman's crumpet for about five years. We were all absolutely crazy about him. And then one day you met him, and I was so jealous. Uh, <laughs> but then you did the sweetest thing. Well, he did the sweetest thing. Oh, he He's, did it? Yeah. Not I, you being sweet, him. No, I was t- well, I was telling him about you, and then he grabbed hold of my phone. And then and put his arm, we stood together and he did a selfie video uh, to you. So uh, that was great. I it mean, he's, he's such a lovely guy. Oh, well, really I is. screamed when I received that. Uh, and then, of course, you'd met, met him a few times, but then I met him backstage at the Royal Albert Hall. And again, oh, my gosh, a photo to be treasured. <laughs> he's absolutely lovely. Well, the great thing is he's a good actor and he's had a whole history of acting and also... Um, doing improv, he was a comedian as well. Um, But he can sing and he can play and he can write songs. So, I mean, he's every woman's dream, really. Well, yes, I should say so. Uh, And it was dedicating a song to Patty uh, that we're gonna hear about, I think, when uh, Deacon was in a a band on uh, campus at college, way, way back. Romantic man. And they're in Barbados? They are, he's filming at the moment. So they've taken a little break from his filming to do this. Well, let's get on with it. For this edition of Johnny and Tiggy Walker, Consciously Coupling, brought to you in association with the Velvetizer from Hotel Chocolat, we now have a chat with Charles and Patty Eston. How are you both? We're doing great. We're doing too well. We're, we really, it's almost an embarrassment of riches that we're... Uh, Finishing up shooting the final couple of weeks on the second season of my Netflix show, Outer Banks. And as part of that, yeah, we had to come here and shoot in Barbados. So that's we're in our hotel room right now in Barbados. Well, life can be so tough at times. <laughs> <laughs> we will we'll soldier on, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, start with a question that we ask all our guest couples. Uh, and that is, how did you meet? Well, we met in college. A little advanced to that is that I should say that this was the college that my parents, where my parents met, uh, the College of William and Mary, named after your king and queen, uh, King William, Queen Mary, in Williamsburg, Virginia. And um, sad side note, my parents divorced when I was about, uh, I guess, seven or eight. And as a young kid, I could never quite understand what had ever brought them together in the first place. And it never seemed like a good match. And they agreed with that. And so in my mind, I went, I know what it is. It's because they met in college. 
college is not a real world. It's a bubble. Note to self, never marry someone you meet in college. <laughs> and then I went to the exact same college and I married a girl from the exact same sorority. And, uh, and uh, so far, so good. So yeah, there's no rules that work. You've got a few more years on them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Patty, it was a bit more romantic uh, than that. Over, over to you for your story. So I had another boyfriend that I had dated for two and a half years. And he decided we should see other people. And so I think I think he thought they were going to be together forever so that they should see what dating in college is like. Um, but he said this to a very proud Italian woman. And uh, and so on on the one one day a week that we were supposed to go out with someone else, I haughtily said, you can do that. I will do what I want to do. So I was doing my laundry one night. And uh, there was an event room near where all the facilities were. And there was Chip singing at this real intimate little event. Acoustic, with, uh, yeah, acoustic it was, it was event. And um, so I just, I just watched, watched it. And I was, I was like, oh, there's, there's that guy, Chip. And his sister was in my sorority. And I went home and told my roommate about it that night. And then about a week or two later, we went to an event where, where what was it, it was at our campus center ballroom um and it was uh, amnesty international it was a concert a fundraiser that my band in college was uh part of and um lo and behold i looked out in the audience and i saw her again and um she was also a very good girlfriend of this guy loyal girlfriend she never had that look like she was available she always had the look like she was taken a girlfriend yeah yeah <laughs> This particular night, she did not look as taken. Um, <laughs> and so I actually turned around to my band when I saw her standing there watching. And we had a couple other songs ready to go. But I turned to them and I called an audible and I said, we're not playing that. We're playing Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. And Which was my favorite song. I later come to find out that was her favorite song. I guessed it out of the clear blue air. I just knew it was the most romantic song that I probably knew. <laughs> so I am... Um, the band started playing it, and I was basically singing it right to her, but your roommate. My roommate's like, he's staring at you while he sings this. I'm like, no, he's not. She's like, all right. She grabbed me by the arm and dragged me across the room. And all the way to the other side of the stage. And Chip's like this. I was like, okay. I yeah. kept singing Maybe to her all the way. To <laughs> <laughs> and then on a break, I kept walking real near her in the line and trying to say, oh, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. She finds that, all right, this is this is ridiculous. My name is Patty. And I said, yeah, I know who you are. Nice to meet you. And the rest is history. Your heart was already melted, Patty. It was, it was. Mine was melted before that. I would see her, I would see her on campus. She was, I guess a lot of people have mopeds now, but at the time she was the only girl on the whole campus that had a moped, a motor scooter, a, um, a little yellow, uh, I forget what, what it was called, but it was a little, like, of course, because she was Italian. And so I'd be somewhere on campus and I hear this ring, 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 like this engine sound. And I was just like, <laughs> looking for that beautiful blonde girl. And uh, lo and behold, uh, we ended up together. Here we are. Cupid was definitely on duty that night. <laughs> oh, absolutely. For both of us. That's your ex-boyfriend. He must rue the day. I'm sure he I'm sure he did, but I, he's got a very good life, a great wife, a bunch of kids. So what's meant to be is meant to be, I think. True, true. All's well, it ends well. So, Charles, it was uh, you you spent your life being an actor and a singer. You land that role of Nashville. 
in your 40s, I mean, up until then, you've been doing Whose Line Is It Anyway? You'd been doing improv. You've been doing all sorts of things. You've been in London playing... Um, Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. That's yeah. right, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, when you get Nashville, I mean, that changes things completely, doesn't it? It absolutely did. It, it changes It changes things on so many levels that if it had only been as an actor, it would have changed things on every every level. Getting to be that bang on of a lead with that good a character. To me, I judge a character by how human they get to be. And I judge how human you get to be by how many facets you have. People are very intricate. They have different, um, sometimes in a role, you're just the mean guy or you're just the uh, the, the new boyfriend that talks too loud or you're the, you know, you, you have one or two facets. And then I could tell when I got to play this guy, Deacon, that he had so many facets. He was so um, wonderfully human. He loved so hard. He failed so hard. He came back so hard. So all of those things is just the acting. And then you add on top of that, the music, which was always my first love still is. And the doors that it opened so that by now I've played the Grand Ole Opry, how many times? 137 times. 137 times at the Grand Ole Opry. And that's only including, as Charles Esten, a Deacon's played there a number of times too. <laughs> and the Bluebird. And of course, it's what brought me over to London. So I got to play Royal Albert Hall, for goodness sake. So there's really no measuring what this show did is by way of changing it. But the one other thing I want to say is it's also one of the things that also felt so meant to be. I really felt as I looked back that every job I had done, every song I had written, every performance I had done, Buddy Holly, all of that, I had in my toolbox and I carried with me to help me maybe do as good a job as I could at this job. So it really felt like, like God was saying, okay, I've given you all these experiences, all these ups, all these downs. This is why, this show right here. Patty, how is it for you when Charles was given that role? Did you realize what a game changer it was going to be, not just for his career, but your entire family, your life? I didn't realize fully until we got a little deeper in, but to start with, when I read the script, he had turned a lot of stuff down where he would have been traveling or he would have been on the road. And um, when he showed me the script and it wasn't gonna film in LA, I was like, this one's worth it. Bye-bye. She actually read the script. She didn't even say anything. She, um, th that's the point she was making is that it would take a lot to get me to leave the home we had, the perfection of all that. I told my agent, I said, I'm a difficult client because I'm satisfied with what I have. I like these jobs I get to do. I have this incredible wife and family. So we always said, it's going to be a big job that tears you away and takes you somewhere else. So she literally reads the pilot script of Nashville in our bed. And I'm, I'm in across the room and she just looks up at me like this and she goes, <laughs> like, goodbye. I know I won't be seeing you. You're going to go on for a while. Yeah. Because I'll tell you one other story about her just as a wife and the type of support. Um, you know, the ups and downs of being an artist um, uh, in, 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 in both fields, music and acting. It's just very, very difficult. Um, and you can get really close on some things and, and feel like this is it. This is the moment. For me, that moment was that uh, incredible series, Band of Brothers, uh, Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. I came very, very close on that one and had a number of auditions, uh, auditioned with Tom Hanks, auditions with Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. And, and in the end, they said they were going with someone else. And so there were no tears or anything, but she could tell it was one of the bigger gut punches, um, uh, not getting that one. And uh, she wrote, 
me a letter, just a handwritten letter, just on notebook paper saying, I know how hard this is. I know how much you wanted it, but you have to look at this for what it is. This is a step along the way. The fact that you got this close means there's something coming. There's something perfect that is out there and waiting for you. And when I was getting ready to leave for Nashville, I was packing up a bunch of stuff from my office and I, I'm a pack rat and I'm, I'm opening some of the book and out comes this letter and I open it up and it's this letter from, it had to be almost 10, 15, maybe 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was, it, was an, it was an old letter um, saying that someday the right thing will come along and I was packing up to head off to that right thing. So that, that, I thought that was pretty special. Patty, you then subsequently because of the success of Nashville, the TV show, suddenly you're sharing, I guess Chip is what you call Charles, you're sharing it with millions of women all over the world. He used to be all yours. <laughs> no longer. It, you know, it's funny because um, I feel like even for me, there was like the toolbox. It was little steps. When he played Buddy Holly, he, you know, had a very loving scene every single night with Maria Elena, who played, you know, who was Buddy Holly's wife. And um, so uh, even before that, before when I was that, in a band, yes. When, when he was the singer in this band in college, I was elbowing girls out of my way so I could have the prime spot in front. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I will say that uh, when Chip became the heartthrob on Nashville, I started wearing eye makeup. <laughs> <laughs> so I could compete with those beautiful movie stars. <laughs> I didn't even know that. <laughs> she used to say he was my heartthrob first, and uh, and and that's absolutely right. But you can see why everyone fell for him. I mean, Deacon Claiborne is the ultimate character that every woman wants to save, isn't he? How did oh, you totally. feel? How did you feel about Connie Britton being the one who got closest to uh, to Chip? Well, you know, she's such an amazing person and we idolized her from the days of Friday Night Lights. So it was kind of an honor that she got to play his wife. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not his wife or his, you know, heart soul. Eventually, yeah. yeah. But, um, but very quickly also, um, Connie's just a very kind and warm person. So I remember oh, the absolutely. first time she met Patty and she was like, Patty and their best buddies and everything. So there's no awkwardness or, or weirdness. No, same with Hayden Panettiere, who would just, whenever Patty would, you know, Patty didn't come to the set a lot or come. And I lived in LA the first year of filming. Yeah, and she had different, but when she would come to an event, they both treated her like gold. And both super and that goes sweet. a long way. So that she knows it's it's acting and it's a profession. And um, uh, it, she's been, actually truly amazing with it but I think also she knows when she sees me acting in love with somebody or acting that romance of romances that Deacon and Raina have she knows where I learned what I'm acting I was gonna she, say he's lifting from us <laughs> like, she, she got Deacon without the drinking problem so, so who wins really but I want to know can you sing Patty only very privately. <laughs> um, we dated for almost three years before I accidentally sang along with the song that I liked we were on the radio. I was, we were going to a show. We were driving around and, and pulling uh, a U-Haul and going from one college show to the next with my band. And she was in the passenger seat and we're driving forever through some mountain roads in Virginia or North Carolina. And then all of a sudden I realized she's singing and she's singing full voice, just singing. All, and she had never opened her mouth to sing for a second. I think she had a self-consciousness about it. 
So I'm just staring straight ahead. I don't want to spook the deer. I'm just like, <laughs> and then she sees me grinning and she goes, bye now. She'll sing in front of me. And he, we do for our friends. And we, we will do this for you for sure. Uh, when our friends have birthdays, we call up and leave a message. And we have a very good uh, two-part harmony for happy birthday. So uh, that's the one duo we do for the people we love. I can kill a happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so can we just for a moment come back to college days? Uh, so there we have that very romantic playing of uh, Romeo and Juliet. And your long-term guy realized, well, he thought you were going to be together forever. So you should find out about dating other people in a way before you settle down to get married. Uh, from what I understand, Charles, that you were thinking maybe, you know, you'd, you'd like to meet some different girls for a while. Uh, and a sort of, you know, as Buddy Holly sang, learning the game. Uh, but then you meet Patty, and it's like you knew that she was the one straight away. I did, yeah, yeah. I um, I had dated around in college. I was not as monogamous at that point as she was, to the point that some of my friends warned her about dating me, like you, Chip's a nice guy, but you don't want to date out. him. Date him. <laughs> so I said, I'll show them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay with you forever. Uh, <laughs> No, but but I uh, there was a part of me that was like, oh, I didn't mean to meet. First of all, if you remember that college thing I have in my head, don't marry the girl you meet in college. But the other voice, the other the angel on the show was going, but come on, man, she's the one. And and so there was a part of me that goes, oh, I didn't know I was going to meet the one so early that sort of thought that I would go do the music, the rock and roll is maybe the single guy or, or the I didn't even know what I was going to do. The acting and the music, it all just sort of came together. But it was just undeniable. It was, it was such a fork in the road at this one point. Um, and it, it, the fork was difficult in some ways. Um, like when it was time to get married, it was, can I do this? Can I be the man that this very wonderful woman deserves? It was never about whether she was ready or right. It was always about, what about, what about me? And, um, it was actually, uh, the pastor that married us that had some just very strong words before we got married about the fact that the whole point of our faith is that neither one of you is perfect. He looked at me, he said, Chip, he said, Patty, there's one thing you need to know. Chip is going to fail you. And I was like, is this guy reading my mind? What's going on here? And then of course he turned to me and goes, Chip, there's something you need. Patty is going to fail you. He goes, you are both flawed human beings like all of us. Neither one of you is perfect. Neither one of you is strong enough alone to build this relationship on if you want it to be forever. He says, but your faith, God is something that you can, if you both have this belief, he's, he's the one that can help you. He's the one that you can build it on because you can trust him more than you can trust me like you know as he's got your back and he's got both of you and, the, and like a hub of a wheel like spokes on a bike the closer you come to the hub the closer you're going to be coming to each other anyway so um that was that was uh, sort of a paradigm shift for me that you don't need to be perfect to get married has either one of you failed the other i don't not in the way that uh i've failed her a million times in terms of not being the loving kind husband that I should be. We fight, we argue, I say things I regret. Me too. Um, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we both do. So, um, but the other thing is that faith, that's what keeps you, keeps you both on the straight and narrow. And also I know how special it is. So when you say, have we failed each other? Not in that the extraordinary worst of ways, but every day a little bit. And then some days, not at all. 
And then you'll have a, we'll have a long stretch where the stretch will be so easy for so long that when we do have an argument or a fight and they can get feisty, she's a strong Italian woman. I'm an opinionated guy. Sometimes it's like, what are, what are we doing? How, how, why, how are, are we, we even arguing in this? About this? We don't even know how thing. we're in it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, what we found is it's not so much the getting into them, but it's the getting out of them. If you get real good at getting out of them, I think the couples that have the hardest trouble is when you never really get out of it and it sort of bleeds into the next one and you almost have a perma fight that's always going on as opposed to our fights are long and rare and they're like most fights, just poor communication. Um, as, as, as simpatico as our hearts are, we think differently. We say things differently. Half the time we'll be halfway in an argument and I'll realize we were agreeing with each other the whole time. We were just saying it wrong. Now, when she was very young, Addie, your youngest child, was got leukemia. She was two and a half, I think. Yeah. Which must have been on, on your relationship. That must have been both something that brought you together, but was also a heck of a stress. How did you two cope as a couple through that time? It brought us so much closer um it showed us what's really important in life you know everything else fell away that's all that mattered was making sure our other two kids were okay and being there for Addie. and we just trusted in god and uh we're so grateful for all the research that had been done that allowed us to know that there was a good chance she would survive and we trusted that yeah. God was going to look out for her. So yeah, we came out of that pretty. But having said that, I think a lot of that is, it's a testing of, of your relationship, that extreme difficulty, whether it's a child with a disease or other things, or even this time of COVID and lockdown, these are testing things that, um, you know, all the cliches um, that, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, um, going through fire refines you and makes the steel of the sword even even stronger and less likely to break or it breaks you apart. So it just a lot of these things go back to the choosing when I, when some new, newlyweds ask for advice on how to stay married and all these things. Uh, I say other things, but one of the first things I think is choose well. I don't think I don't know if people put enough on that. We chose well. Um, I chose well, I should say, we but, chose well. yeah, but when we got, but, so when we got into, when we got into the fire, into the trouble, you are, you don't even know it when you're like, when you're dating and you're young and you're in college, I had about 10 things on my list of what I looked for in a woman. Those years later, when you're in the middle of your child having cancer and, and it's, and it's, that's the wife, my list of 10, maybe two overlapped. It was a completely different list. So, and that's just natural, but she fulfilled those ones even better than she fulfilled the first one. You don't know that what you're getting, you're getting somebody that's riding shotgun with you. You're getting a co-pilot on an airplane that's going to go through some terrible storms. Um, she's not getting a flight, a flight attendant that is in the back doing that. You're getting somebody who's right beside you, flying it with you. And you don't really realize it till you're in it. And I look at her and I, and I go, that's the quality. I didn't even know as a kid, this foolish young man that picked a woman, but I knew there was a quality I couldn't express. Or I didn't know what it was. And it, that's when I really shine. It gets tricky though, because in a way during those situations, during all hard times, 
you almost end up like soldiers in a foxhole. So you're sort of back to back like this. And I'll cover that, you cover that, you know, and you're just handling everything. And, and for a long time, you realize you never put down your weapons and just look at each other and you're never just with each other. So we had to make sure at a certain point we go, we have to handle that. We have to make sure we have a date night. Once a week, we just have to go out and just us and decompress. And we were certain that we would go try all the great restaurants in LA. Uh, but every weekend we would end up in the same booth in the same Mexican restaurant called El Torito with two giant margaritas just slumped and exhausted. <laughs> so, but that was all but we it needed. It was all we needed. <laughs> now, Paddy, talking about being a co-pilot, you kind of manage and look after Chip's career, right? By the way, I didn't say she's co-pilot. I think I might be the co-pilot. She sort of flies the plane. Okay. Well, <laughs> you speak to the uh, people on board. There came a time when Tiggy and I talked about Tiggy being my agent, manager, whatever you call it. And what I was worried about was this business would infiltrate on the personal. So I said, well, what I want you to do, Tiggs, when you're being my a agent, well, I'm going to call you Madge, and you must wear a hat. And then when we finish talking business, you take the hat off and Tiggy's back. So do you find a way of separating that, that business side of Wait, things? do you still do that? You don't do that, do you? No, we no, don't. We, we don't. don't. <laughs> Honestly, that hasn't did. happened for ages. We never did it once. The problem is everything bleeds together all the time. It really does. Um, and when the kids were around and had a lot of things going on for them, I'd say it bled a lot into the evenings, into the weekends, because I want to get things done right. I feel an obligation to get things done on time. This, yeah, this is and, and, you know, before she was my. Uh, assistant and manager and ran on this. She was Kevin Costner's assistant. He was wonderful to her and to us, and she did an incredible job. But I sometimes say to her, sometimes I have to fire her at the end of the day. It'll be like 10 or 11 at night, and she'll be over the computer. And I'll walk into the kitchen, I'll be like, okay, you're fired today. I'll probably rehire tomorrow. But stop working. Stop working. Go to the couch. We're going to go watch a movie. Um, now, listen, just a warning here we have your home address. And, oh, and we're going to send a boys round. <laughs> no, our sponsors of the podcast, uh, Velvetizer, beautiful machine from made by Hotel Chocolat. They're going to send you one. So when you get back to the States, it will be waiting for you. And you can make I sure. I can't wait. I love chocolate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've taught him to love chocolate also. Yeah. <laughs> it's your Italian blood. It's your Italian blood. Exactly. Chip, do you think you talk about Patty being so efficient? And and frankly, I don't know how life Johnny's life would function without me around. I managed uh, before. But yes, I know <laughs> you say that. You say that, but you, yeah, you kind of function. You've improved it. That's for sure. But I want to know, Chip. Do but you, you don't have to rub it in. <laughs> do you think that you would have been as successful and everything else without Patty there? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if you've met me, but I'm extraordinarily talented and charismatic. I would have found a way. <laughs> no, no, I, I, it, it would not be this. It would have been a mess. It would have been it. Look, you, I am who I am. I sing as well as I sing. I play as well as I play. So I, I would have had a certain amount of abilities that she did not bring to me. But what she brought to me was, man, some days it's a desert and you just want to stop or you want to go beer and go do the easy thing, the easy show, the easy movie. 
you almost say yes when you really know you want to say a no. She, and I know guys, God bless them, actors that are married to wives that are like, you need to take that. We got a car payment come up. You need to take that. We got, our, our kids got to get in. We got to pay some tuition. And, and they're constantly pushing. And I understand that you're trying to raise a family. I get that. She's never done that. She's never done that. Now we've always been fairly okay financially, but there were times where we could use some money and she goes, do you want to do it? And I go, I go, I don't want to do it, but I feel like I should just, we might need it. And she goes, don't do it. And that is not just support, but that's support that lets you steer the whole ship towards your real dream. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Cause you can, there are definitely some, some streams that can take you off of the path you wanted. I mean, not, I, not that I planned any of the Nashville or anything, but if you don't say no to some things, you won't get to the yes that you want. Um, and so absolutely. And also I yeah. help get some of the, the drudgery things done. Some of it, all of it. So I was only kidding. You, <laughs> you guys know that a couple of years ago, I did a thing called Every Single Friday. I put out a brand new single, one single a week. And I thought I would maybe do it for 20 weeks. I did it for 54 weeks. You can almost, you can try to imagine the songwriting, the production, the editing, the, artwork. the art, oh, every piece had individual artwork. What you can't imagine is all the paperwork that needed to be done, the publishing that needed to be done, the making sure the deadlines on the artwork to get, she literally handed, handled everything. She walked into a business she had not been a part of before. Both of us did. And in a way, that's we why we did it. it. Yeah, it was, it, it was our 10,000 hours together, but that for sure, I could not have done. And that, that's my heart of hearts is putting out music. So yeah, I couldn't have done that. Got you in the Guinness Book of Records as well, didn't it? That's right. Yeah, That's yeah, right. that was. We should have both been. But as it always is, um, we do something together extraordinarily difficult. And when it's time for the credit, I go, thank you, everybody. It's been an honor. And, uh, and you guys know what that's about, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I want to know, Patty, so your assistant, Kevin Costner, for five years. God, you choose your men well. I've just got to say that. <laughs> do you? Yeah, I do. Another <laughs> Rob, um, do you miss ever having your own career out of the family, out of chip, you know, away from it all? Or are you just happy? Your entire world um, is, is chip and the family. Honestly, it's been amazing and incredible. I felt like that when I, when I gave notice and stopped working for Kevin, it was because I felt like I was missing out on too many things with, with our, our little kids. Like I wanted to see the first step which, you know, I missed with Taylor's first step, but I saw Chase's and I definitely saw Addie's and was there to care for Addie with Chip through her whole leukemia battle. And honestly, I loved every minute of it. And now that they're all in college or finished with college, we've had the most incredible adventures, including during COVID, that I get to be here. We've been here five weeks. It's amazing. So I, I wouldn't change anything. I have plenty of things I can do on my own. I have, you know, a prayer group, uh, a group of friends. She's on Tennessee. the, she's on the LLS. I'm on the board for leukemia the Lymphoma Society. The Middle Tennessee uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, we, we have this team, which is the Light the Night Walk team that raises funds for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And we have it because of Chip's fame. But I take care of all the she technical, like, you know, 
getting everyone registered, keeping track of it, um, all of that. So I have plenty of stuff that's just for me. And, and it's not like she's not doing something. I think Johnny, I'm sure if you looked at her, she could do what she's doing for you. She could do it at a high level for anyone. I can't imagine what she couldn't do. When she was first coming out to LA, I had been there about a year. And I said, you got to come on out here. Um, now, I think I got I got this where I got a job. We can do this. At that time, she worked in the Department of Labor for the United States government, where she helped uh, to release the inflation statistics. So she was an economist at releasing inflation statistics. And so she said, well, what am I, what am I going to do out there? And I said, you have no idea. The people out here, they're, they're more flaky. They're not as reliable. The ones that I had met, I go, you are absolutely reliable. You're completely capable. Whatever you want to do, that's what you end up doing. I was kind of blowing smoke. But a year and a half later, she was the assistant to the to at that time the biggest star in Hollywood. And I have no doubt, I have no doubt that had she stayed in that role, if, if our careers had stayed separate, or if we had not had kids, or if we had done something different, she would have been a big time producer producing movies um, for Kevin or for or for other people as well. I have no doubt because she can she can make it all happen. Okay, now you talk, you spoke about songs. You've written a lot of songs including, you know, 54 all in a row, which must have been a heck of a challenge. But we know the song you share, which is uh, Romeo and Juliet, Dire Straits. What song, Charles, would you dedicate to Patty? Well, by the way, there's another song that, that that's her song for me. And then I had one for her, which was Only You, uh, if you remember by Yaz or Yazoo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I actually released a, an acoustic version of that from when I played over there when I was doing a C2C. That's right, it's Be on the special album. There's a special album. And that's totally dedicated to her. She, she loved that song as well. We used to play it all the time back then. But if I was to dedicate a song, um, it's, one, it's one of mine. It makes sense that it's one of mine because I did dedicate it to her. I, like, like many of my songs, um, I wrote it for her. And um, it's it's called I'll Never Know Why. And um, it's it's that classic thing of, look, I know why I'm with you, but I'll never know why she chose me. Um, Rackets, so, um, I'm not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little bit. But yep. you know, Chip, that is, it's a lovely song. And I looked it up on YouTube earlier on, just, just to, to take a look. And there is your song, To Patty, and all the images are you and Raina James. I didn't even know that. Did you not? That's not my video. That, that's so funny. Somebody else made that. Have they? That's I mean, wild. when you're taking your shirt off at one moment, she grabs your belt. <laughs> and it's like, and I'm going, oh no, this is his song to Patty and Raina James is on the visual. That's hilarious. I'll never know why. The other thing is, just going back to college again for a sec. The other thing maybe, have you ever thought, had you not met Patty, you might have just gone off the rails a bit, gone a bit wild. Uh, that's she... absolutely, that's absolutely a possibility. Um, she, she made me, huh, this, you know, it's, it sounds very corny, but it's very true. She made me a better person. First, she made me want, first, she made me aspire to be a better person. She made me to aspire because she was a truly good, kind person. And <laughs> that, that, I go, I don't want to be the guy that breaks that good person's heart. So I need to be, I need to continually become a better and better guy. And I know, I have, I have no doubt, but I, I just think that very often women civilize men, they make us, 
they make us focus a little more on the important things and not and not and not dabble in those things that can be fun in the moment but aren't going to maybe get you anywhere i remember looking down the road and i just saw two paths i saw two paths one is going the road being a rock star or an actor and just be with who you're going to be because you're in this project or now you're in this band or now you meet this um or this this thing that i thought had a real chance of lasting forever and just really um being good i i there's a part of that other thing that's just chasing chaos i i knew guys like that at the time i had a very good friend who lived that life and while he was in it it was he loved it but he was always just like oh man i don't know how to you're trying to keep your your story straight and trying to keep your girls straight and and he never seemed truly happy i sort of said dude you gotta find some part of your life that doesn't have chaos i'm happy to say like 10 years later that it all fallen away. He found his girl. He found, and just now he's got all the joy, but without all the, oh, all the crazy. <laughs> you know, you see, we ground you guys. Yeah, I know, but we we could do it a week, half a year, where we can just go, <laughs> or maybe even two. That's what biking was about. <laughs> yeah, I used to get that riding the motorcycle. Give him a week. Give him a week. He'll ask for a fortnight. It won't happen. Darling, anytime. <laughs> <Do you know? laughs> I'll go off to a spa and be, be looked after. I just heard the word fortnight. You've been hanging out in, in England too long. <laughs> <laughs> Not long enough. I want to get back. Well, I have to say, you're going to come and fill the Royal Albert Hall again. It was so amazing that night. I mean, you know, it's really, really something to fill the Royal Albert Hall. I mean, Patty, how proud did you feel that Oh, night? my gosh. That whole time there was so magical when we woke up that morning after driving overnight and out our window was the Royal Albert Hall like that. I have a photo of that. And then being in there, I you, you just have to keep pinching yourself. I wandered around every bit of it, taking pictures from every angle. It just—it's still looking at the pictures are amazing. Yeah, I can—I could talk about a lot of things. I don't really have the words for that, and but that too. Also, you feel like the pieces were all there because I got to play Royal Albert Hall with the Nashville tour, so I had had a taste of a small bit of it on that stage, and then I got to go back with the Whose Line Is It Anyway um, reunion show, the 30th anniversary show, three sold-out shows with those guys. Each of the times I played there, I kept going, "Okay, remember this." because this is never going to happen again. And then uh, sure enough, it happened. Um, now, the other test as parents is when your children grow up and start bringing boyfriends or girlfriends back home. How are you getting on with that? <laughs> right now is a perfect time. Um, each one of the three kids has a, a, a boyfriend or girlfriend that we adore. Um, Taylor has a boyfriend named Charlie, who's the lead in a band. <laughs> um, our son uh, has a beautiful girlfriend named Tori, who they're a great couple. And then our Addie has a, a, a boyfriend named Sean, who we really loved getting to meet him. And so we like them. I don't know them. what to do. I, I don't know what to do. It's, it's awkward because I like them all so much. And I think they're all such... Uh, such good folks. Um, I'm very excited. Um, Taylor, our oldest, who's also the artist, her boyfriend Charlie is in a band as an artist as well. I'm going to be doing a writer's round with uh, 
them uh, uh, for, uh, for Bluebird, for Alive Hospice is the charity. It's going to be out at Green Door Barn, which you may remember is the barn that Deacon and Randy got married in. So it's going to be me and my daughter and Charlie, and they're both, they, they would be there if I was not related to either. I just thought, I want to, I love their, the work, their songs. I get to call this um, writing round, so I'm going to do with them and my great friend, Krista Stefano, who's just a fantastic Nashville songwriter. So um, we're very, very lucky. Um, I, like I say, I think we raised them to look for the right things and the right people. And maybe you hope that they've seen an example of what works and would not end up with somebody that ever didn't treat them like they should be treated. That's, that's definitely the goal when you're raising your kids and, and you're, and you're meeting the, these, these other kids. I remember real early on, um, my, my oldest daughter real early on was dating some guy and she, she goes, I'm dating that guy. And I, I didn't super care for him, but I knew if you sort of go, I don't want you seeing him that that just, that cements it. I mean, Romeo and Juliet. Right. Yeah. So instead I just, I go, I go to her. I, I was pretty cool about, it. I go, so that's him, huh? And she's like, <laughs> yeah, why? And I'm like, huh? She's like, what? I go, nothing. It's just, just not what I expected. And that's all I said. And I could see her go. <laughs> Devious, right? That was enough. Gee, I'm that's, going what to, you, I'm sorry. that's what you call very crafty. <laughs> <laughs> now, Patty, what about your song that you would dedicate to Chip? Can you share that with us? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Um, it's a song that Blake Shelton sings. I think it was written by Dave Barnes. And honestly, every time I hear it, I get the chills. It makes me emotional because it it's God gave me him, but God gave me you. That's the so, title, yeah. Yeah, the title is God gave me you. And uh, it, it just, it's such a beautiful song and phrasing. And that was the first one that jumped into my mind when you guys asked the question. There's certainly some days when God must be like, don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, that's the sweetest thing as you could possibly say. Uh, just a reminder, there's, there's links to these songs in the notes uh, of the podcast. Now, is Chip as uh, nice a guy as Deacon? Oh, he's much nicer. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have the drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah i mean he took the niceness of deacon from himself so um absolutely it shone through deacon was a lot of um there but for the grace of god go i that whole thing of what if me i so i can t i can use the things i have the gifts i have whether it's my my singing he sang a little different he would sing a little lower a little bit more of an accent um but it's basically my voice would you ever play a bad guy a villain I'm playing one right now. I am on Outer Banks. You guys, I want you to check it out. It was on Netflix last year. Sort of blew up. <clears throat> I don't want to give you a spoiler. That almost spoils it a little bit. But you won't believe it. It's the season in, so I'll tell you, we are now shooting the second season. And uh, yeah, so the answer is yes to that one, John. <laughs> Patty allowed that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's so fun. <clears throat> It's 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 fun to see him sink his teeth into this. And um, <clears throat> you'll see even here at the hotel, the staff is wonderful and they like calling him the bad guy. There you go. There you hey, go. Bad guy. They say, good morning, bad guy. Hello, bad man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, that one passed us by, but we'll definitely get into it now. Now, listen, oh, please, let me know. maybe this night is one of your date nights and we've kept you a long time. Thank you very much indeed for being with us. 
Uh, well, I'll tell you what, will you do me a favor? Will you make it up for us? Can we have a, a date night, the four of us? The next time we'll back, we're back there, we'll just uh, go have a pint and a good meal. That'd be great. It would be great. An Indian, I think. A pint and an Love Indian. It. Or a Mexican, but, whatever. <laughs> in a little room. All right. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you guys both. Thank good, you. Good luck with that week off, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having us, guys. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, what a, an amazing couple they are. They radiate, don't they? I mean, uh, people, we get to see them when we do the interview and Patty is there. She's just glowing and beautiful and gorgeous. And there's, I tell you what, the thing that really struck me and, you know, they're, Americans are very open about talking about God, but God being part of their marriage was was very strong. He, they, he said it a number of times, well, and so did Patty. And the Brits, if they believe in God, you know, we both believe in God, but we don't sort of talk about it. And that openness is what really struck me. But I felt that that was a real strength behind their, their marriage and their life. Yeah. I always remember Roger Cook, the songwriter who moved to Nashville. And he said, Johnny, one thing you have to remember about, he, he said, you've heard of the Bible Belt. He said, Nashville is the buckle. But it's very beautiful to hear that. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, he's a great guy, Chip. That's a nice. That's that's a nice name for him, Chip. But also, um, his. I asked him that question about could you've done it without Patty, and he yes, he could have done. But her support has been amazing. He's the one for chaos, and she's the one for organisation. What does that remind you of? I can't think, Tease. <laughs> is there somebody we know a bit like that? I must have a think about that one. It is amazing how we've heard people know that the other is the one so you know there's there's chip who uh, obviously fell in love immediately with patty she was in a long-term relationship but that kind of stopped or she had a week off or whatever um and he just knew that she was the one you know and that's that in itself is a kind of faith isn't it yeah so anyway that uh, brings us to the end of this edition uh, a reminder that um the links to the songs will be uh, on the bottom of the notes. Uh, our thanks go to Hotel Chocolat, makers of the Velvetizer, for supporting this podcast, and to John Daly of Ojo Productions, uh, who named his production company after the initial letters of his children. Which is very charming. That's I think lovely. thanks also to Fergus, who wrote the music. As this, we were talking to a musician today, let's remember the musician who uh, wrote our theme music. Yeah. And thank you for listening to this podcast. And uh, you can find us on uh, social media. And we'll see you for the next edition. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.